Welcome to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Goodbye baseball, a walk-off winner for Mitch Hattiger. Swing, line, drive, this game is over! Goodbye baseball, Mitch Hattiger ties it up here in the bottom of the ninth inning. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Hey, welcome back, Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Thanks for being here. We are back again after a very fun Edgar week. Now we're kind of back to back to normal, back to the regular podcast. So we have a lot to get to. I feel like we have a lot to catch up on as a lot happened during the past week and into this week as well as the Mariners take two of three from the Texas Rangers. We'll talk about that a little bit. Very interesting conversation coming up in a few minutes. Aaron Goldsmith, a long conversation with Jarrett DeHart, a name you may or may not know, a hitting strategist with the Mariners, talking all about hitting and approaches and kind of his background as we get to know somebody on the Mariners coaching staff in his first season. So that comes up in a few minutes, a very fun conversation. Also, a Major League debut happened yesterday as well. Shannon Dreyer uh, sat down with Tim Lopes, which is a lot of fun uh, this time of year, too, especially uh, a player like Tim Lopes, who has been in the organization for a long time, has been in minor league baseball for a long time, finally breaks through and makes his Major League debut. Shannon Dreyer, a chance to talk with him before the game yesterday. Mariners winning yesterday to take the series against the Texas Rangers. M's taking the first game of the series a couple of nights ago, Monday night. And Austin Nola, a big part of that as he continues to contribute in a big way. Pitch from Sampson. Swung on, line drive, down the left field line. Staying fair, baby. Gone! A home run! Austin Nola, three-run homer here in the second inning. And the Mariners have taken a 3-2 lead. Screaming, line drive, kept it fair. Bounced off a wall just outside Edgar's down the left field line. Home run for Nola, his third, takes his RBI total to six. And the Mariners in front here in the second inning. Marco was solid in that game, goes seven, allows just two earned runs. After a rocky start, he really got things dialed in and pitched well. And the Mariners win seven to three in the opener. They dropped game two, seven to two to Texas. And they come back yesterday. Five to three winners. Mike Leak was outstanding for the second game in a row. Here's the pitch, swinging a one hopper back to the mound, leaping high in the air. Leak brings it back down. He's got it. The throw to first, and it's in time to get Chu, and that will retire the side. Holy smokes! Mike Leak is putting on a show defensively, and he's the pitcher who's made three outstanding plays already in the ball game. He had to climb the ladder. He was way up there to haul it in, and he gets Chu for the final out of the fifth inning what a play by leak and then daniel vogel back a big ball game the wind up and the three two swinging a well hit ball deep to right field down the line stay fair goodbye baseball daniel vogel back with his 24th home run of the season has given the mariners a one to nothing lead this afternoon here in the bottom of the fifth what an at bat and he was not done here comes the one-two pitch. Breaking ball swung on high and deep. Right field taking a look. Mazzara say goodbye. Daniel Vogel back. 20 rows back. Another home run for the big man. It's 5-3. Mariners. What's so impressive about that is he hit them off of Mike Miner, who has been 
One of the best lefty starters in baseball this year and a guy that has not given up many home runs to lefties at all this season. Just five on the year, including those two by Vogelback. Just something we haven't seen very often this year. So a good, uh, we've talked about Vogelback against lefties. The numbers haven't been there so far this year, but that's something we'll continue to watch as we move through this year. Mariners win game uh, three of the series to take the series, thanks to Vogelback and Leak and so the Mariners take the series. Here with Scott's service after the ball game. Scott, it's pretty hard to post right solid start right after flirting with the perfect game, but Mike was pretty effective again, even for the first five or six innings. Yeah, Mike was really uh, sharp early in the ball game again today, and uh, you know obviously there's a little bit more traffic, uh, a few more hits off him today, um, but you know really effective. He just you know made the one mistake to Odor. Odor's had a heck of a series. Uh, he finds a way to get, get hits and hits him over the fence against us. But uh, uh, Mike did a great job, uh, kept him right there. Uh, big day for Vogie and get our offense going. Uh, nice to put a big inning up like that and uh, we win a series. You know, guys continue to grind it out. Um, it's good to see. But the pitch sequencing, the efficiency, and I mean even the defense, or like over his past two starts, is this really trademark leap when he's on? Like he can really be this effective. Yeah, the key is Mike doesn't walk anybody. You know, and uh, you don't walk guys, and for the most part, keeps the ball on the ground. So you got a chance to get the double play. You can always keep the double play in order. He's got a chance to get some quick outs there and get through some innings quickly. And uh, he's been keeping his pitch count really in check. So he's efficient early in the game. Teams know they're he's coming after them. But he's got enough movement on the cutter, the sinker, the changeup. You never really know what's coming. I thought it was very effective today. He started the game off throwing a first pitch slider. Uh, you know, and Chew jumped us last night on the first pitch. It wasn't going to happen today. So, uh, really, you know, credit to him. Uh, and again, Tom Murphy, they work really well together. Scott, I think he threw everything in the first inning, and it was just nine pitches. Is there a pitch that stands out for him this year? Um, not really. Uh, it's it's a, what's working on that particular day uh, when he's got more than two working. If he's got three working, he's really in great shape. Uh, but it really doesn't matter to Mike. I think he, he knows he can execute pitches uh, when he's on. And, you know, he really gets the hitters going back and forth. You can see him at times raise eye level and go up a little bit. Um, that's more something he hasn't done a ton, but it's very effective when he does. So, uh, you know, credit to him and still continuing to add things to, to his toolbox. Miner's a guy that's been tough on you a couple of He's been tough on a lot of people, but you guys really, that, that fifth inning kind of just really got to him. He's really good. Um, you know, he gets, locates the fastball and got the changeup right off it and the same tunnels those pitches very well together. Uh, you know, he knew coming into the game was going to be tough today without Domingo in there. Uh, really, you know, Bogey stayed here late last night trying to figure some things out and make a few adjustments, and he was on it today. He told me before the game he was going to be on it. So Bogey says that every day. But uh, uh, he, he was right there today. You know, the big hits, the homers were, were huge in the ball game. Good to see you against a lefty as well. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It's good for him. We're going to see a lot. You know, Detroit's going to run three lefty starters at us, plus they got three or four in their bullpen. So, you know, it's that time. Uh, you kind of sink or swim, and it's a good way to start it for Bogey. Did Bogey take post-game swings last night? I don't know if he's in swings. I think he was looking at a lot of video with Tim Laker and things like that. Uh, Bogey's a baseball rat. He just loves the game, loves talking it, uh, loves sharing ideas with teammates. And, again, he's a very, very confident guy, uh, very opinionated, and goes over very well in this clubhouse. Are you starting to see JP kind of, you know, have that little funk, starting to see him break through a little bit? Yeah, I think the key with JP is just, you know, controlling the zone. He's really good, probably the, one of the best we have uh, on our team. He doesn't swing at a lot of balls. And when he starts swinging at him, he's a little out of whack, uh, moving a little bit forward, 
today, again, he gets base three times, a couple walks, RBI single, and played a really good defense. Uh, the backhand play he made is made it look easy, and that's not an easy play. Have you seen much progression with, with Bogey just in terms of, I mean, obviously he had two big numbers off the lefty today, but just in terms of what he's been able to do against lefties? And yeah, there, there's been stretches. Um, you know, I think that the big thing is, is Bogey has such a good eye, and sometimes, you know, he just – just got to trust your swing and trust it a little bit more. And when he's not getting the results, sometimes he gets a little less aggressive. Um, and then taking some pitches, he can probably hit. So, um, you know, he knows his swing. Uh, yeah, certainly, you know, if he gets his pitch, you know, it goes out of the park. There's no question about that. So um, he has made some strides. And like I said, this next stretch we're on, we're going to find out a lot more. There was Scott Service after the ball game. Mariners get the win. They win the series. And I think they have made a decision easier for the Texas Rangers, or maybe not easier, that's probably not the right word, but uh, more clarity as Texas now 1-9 and nine in their past 10. They're at 551-51. and 51. Minor is scheduled to start again the night before the deadline. It's going to be interesting to see if that start actually happens in a Rangers uniform as Texas, who at one point were 10 games above 500. Now six and a half out of the wild card, out of the second wild card. And the problem there is not only do they have to gain that ground, they have to pass the Angels, the Red Sox, Tampa Bay, and then Oakland to jump into that second spot. So not only the games, but the teams they have to leap over to get there. So their decisions at the deadline, perhaps a little more clarity after the Mariners take two of three in what was a very big series for the Texas Rangers. So now the Mariners move on to Detroit, and this is a team that has the worst record in all of baseball. Mariners have not seen the Tigers this year. Tigers have fallen below Baltimore, now 30-67 and 67 on the year. They've been outscored by 196 runs on the season. The offense has struggled mightily, just 352 runs scored. The pitching hasn't been all that much better. They've given up nearly the most runs in baseball. Uh, they have scored the fewest runs in baseball. The Marlins now have actually scored more than the Tigers. So it has been a struggle all the way around for Detroit. The Mariners will see them for four starting tonight. So we'll see what the Mariners can do against them. Yesterday, the Mariners had a big league debut. Tim Lopes played second base in the final inning. And Shannon Dreher, a chance to catch up with the newest Mariner. Shannon Dreyer in the clubhouse this morning, catching up with Tim Lopes. And Tim, it was great to see the email come across. I mean, you're a name that we've seen for so many years, and we have seen so many times when you've done some good things. And to get the reward, to get the call yesterday, let me just ask you, how did you find out, how did Darren Brown tell you that you were coming up to the bigs? So I was on the plane. We were going to Reno, and um, we land, and I have my headphones in. We're just walking a baggage claim, and, uh, yeah, Brownie, was kind of I kind of saw him in the distance and he kept turning around he was kind of it looked like he was looking for somebody um, but obviously I didn't think it was me and uh, I kind of caught up to him he I looked at him he kind of looked at me with a smile on his face and I just asked him what do you got Brownie what's up and and he just said hey uh, is that all you brought on this trip but he just looked at my little suitcase and I said well yeah it's only it's only a five game road trip or whatever it was and he just said, well, you're going to have to get on a plane and turn around and go back to Seattle. And at that moment, I just, I just, tears were just streaming down my face. He gave me a big hug. And it was just really special, especially coming from 
uh, manager like Darren Brown, who I've just been so close with for so long. Um, it was I'll, I'll never forget it. You just mentioned that you first connected with him when you were 17. How, how did that happen? So he was actually our base running coordinator when okay. I first got into the organization. So he was, and I've just had him as a manager. I had him in Jackson, mm-hmm. um, and we've just gotten to know each other. He was a base running coordinator for us and a bunning coordinator. And when he became a manager, it was even better. Then I got to play under his uh, under his management, and I couldn't say enough great things about him. He's uh, He's definitely at the top of my list. You were drafted by the Mariners. You spent a little time in Toronto's organization. Usually when you go to another organization, that's different eyes on you. What, what did you kind of learn over there? Well, it was it was especially special for me just because my brother was over right. there. Um, <laughs> so it was definitely a lot more comfortable. I went into the organization knowing some people already, just players that were my brother's friends, and it was kind of an easy adjustment. It was cool. I learned a lot of a lot of things over there. I learned from a lot of great people, a lot of great teammates. Um, I made lifelong friendships over there that I'll never forget, and um, it was it was definitely a good experience over there in Toronto. I'm gonna imagine you and your brother talk on the phone quite a bit. We do. He's he's my best friend, and uh, you know when I gave him the call telling him I was going to the big leagues, he he couldn't have been more happy for me, and I just told him like you're next, and he you know we just we've been close for so long. I like we're exactly what you expect out of brothers, so. We both play the same position. Do I have that right? We do. He's uh, he's a middle <laughs> infielder. He's actually been developing more into a utility guy. Now he's kind of playing a little bit more outfield, and he's even dabbled a little bit with some catching. Mm. Um, so he's kind of playing all over, and he's having a good season, and he's in Nashville, so I'm happy for him. We saw Austin Nola come up a little bit ago, and it seems like he's had an explosion this year at AAA. I think the cons- thing with you has been consistency and, and a nice little hitting streak going right now. What, what have you found coming back this year? Uh, just trying to get good pitches to hit. I, you know, haven't changed anything uh, much mentally. Just going up there looking for a pitch that I can handle down the middle, and you know, luckily it's worked out. Okay, that's exactly what Nola said. <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I guess that's the truth. I guess you know he. I've actually watched Nola hit for a long time, and I feel like we look at the game in very similar ways. Um, he's a guy that I look to that I. Like, I love the way he plays, and I learn from him every, every day he's in the box. So um, that's obviously credit to him, and I guess we're thinking the same way. We haven't had a conversation about it, but <laughs> I guess it's just worked out that way. I think there comes a point when you're in your maturity that you're very comfortable with what you're doing, and at that point it's probably seeing the pitches and making smart decisions. Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, just playing this game for a long time, getting, you know, a number of at-bats under your, uh, under your belt, it definitely helps. Coming back. Do things look different in the organization? I know that there are a lot of different teaching mechanisms. I know that they're trying to get all the minors on the same, because you, you made the progression all the way through, and they're trying to get everybody on the same page. Is there something that stands out to you that they've taken a step forward with in particular? Uh, yes, I, I would say definitely on the offensive side of the ball, um, you know, they got guys like, you know, Tim Lager and JD and Dustin Lind and, you know, uh, Carson Vitale, Hugh Quattlebaum, guys that guys that I met actually in the off season right when I signed and they kind of they helped me a lot with my swing and kind of a different approach to hitting um an approach that I've never really um looked into or tapped into and uh like I could I 
can talk about them all day. They're just a quality group of, of hitting guys, and they've they've done a lot for my career. And, you know, this year I've just learned a lot from them. And you're utilizing what they were teaching, even though that was different. Yeah, I'm definitely um, – I, I definitely – I call them every day, and we text about hitting all the time. And <laughs> it's just – I probably annoy them a lot, but, you know, they've, they've just been great, all of them. Do you have anybody at the park these next couple of days for your debut? I'm sorry, what's that? Do you have anybody at the park for your debut? Yes, my, uh, my wife's here. She was here yesterday. Um, my parents uh, flew into town today, and also my, uh, my in-laws and my brother-in-law, they're all here, and my, and my agent, Ryan Hamill. Outstanding. We are so looking forward to seeing it. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And here's Aaron Goldsmith with Jarrett DeHart, hitting strategist for the Seattle Mariners. Jared, your path to get to professional baseball and to get here to the majors with the Mariners is a pretty incredible one. It was only roughly three years ago where you were playing college baseball, and now you're in the show as a hitting instructor with the Mariners. So uh, tell us, how in the world did you make that timeline shrink to only a handful of years? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I've been pretty lucky, pretty fortunate. Um, it's been a really unique experience. Um, so... I finished up my playing career and kind of always knew that I wanted to get into coaching. I uh, kind of started that journey at Tulane as a student assistant, um, finishing up my degree. And, you know, from there I did some work privately in the off seasons um, and got in touch with a close friend of mine who uh, works for the Cleveland Indians who had a relationship with Andy McKay. He dropped my name to Andy McKay. Uh, turns out they were in need of a hitting coach in the AZL last year and things kind of started from there it's been uh it's definitely been a crazy last couple years for sure how does the interview process for a job like that work out because I would have to think that there are hundreds upon hundreds of hitting instructors that Andy could have spoken with or hired sure yeah I've I've been pretty lucky um so the process kind of went if I remember correctly Andy actually it's a funny story Andy reached out to me through Twitter which was hilarious he sent me a DM and uh it was this sketchiest DM, DM of all time. All it said was just like, it was his number and it was like, call me about an opportunity. And I was like, is this real? Like what, what is going on? So I reached out to him and then from there I had to fill out a questionnaire and I thought, you know, I guess they were fairly impressed by my work and kind of the track record or whatever. And, you know, from there just started that process and things got sped up pretty quickly because a couple other teams got involved. And then, uh, yeah, just, I took the job in, I think it was December-ish, and finished up the season at Tulane and came out right after the end. In terms of the coaches' locker room and the coaches' meetings, I mean, you're, you're the youngest guy, like, yeah. outlier young, yeah, right? Yeah. And even younger than a lot of the players for the Mariners that you're working with, all of whom have stepped on a major league field, and you have not done that. And in this information age, it can be so easy for a player with even the smallest level of credentials at this level to look at you and say, well, wh why, Jared, am I going to listen to you? So how do you approach that? Yeah, no, it's definitely a, an interesting uh, subject. I mean, I think today's player, with, and like you said, with the information age, they're, they're hungry for knowledge and they're hungry to get better, right? And the bottom line is that if they feel that you can make them a better baseball player, they're going to listen to you, you know? And obviously, I, at the beginning, it was, you know, I was a little reserved because I wanted to make sure that, you know, I didn't come off as some know-it-all young guy, you know, but I think it's gone pretty well and the guys have been really receptive and it's gone better than I ever thought it was going to go. When, when you talk about the modern swing, yeah. if you were to boil it down in 140 characters in layman's terms, how would you describe to somebody 
what the ideal modern swing at this level looks like? Uh, I mean, there's there's so much individuality that that's probably it's tough to express. But I would say that like if there's is one constant amongst like all the good hitters, it's efficiency and quickness. And so like you think about you know in terms of those outcomes that we were trying to create, right? Like good swing decisions and productive contact, quality contact. The one thing that has, for me, the biggest implications on those two things is efficiency and quickness and time to contact. So if you think about the best hitters in the game, right, they can make better decisions because they can see the ball longer in flight. They have quicker swings, they have more efficient swings, and if you think, okay, what pitchers are trying to do these days in terms of tunneling pitches and pitches playing off of each other, if you can give yourself a few hundredths of a second of extra time, of extra recognition, you're exponentially better. And so I think when you talk about what the best hitters are doing these days, I think the best hitters are the most efficient hitters. And they see the ball longer and they make better decisions than the rest of the guys. Uh, Jarrett, one of the really progressive and honestly just cool things that the Mariners are doing from a hitting standpoint this year is the rake report, which is done from the minors all the way up here to Seattle. Can you tell us what it is and what the point of the rake report is as well? Yeah, so the rake report is kind of a, uh, it's a way of tracking performance throughout the minor leagues and kind of the, the reason it was created was that we want to track process and not necessarily just outcomes, right? So everybody knows that, you know, if somebody scorches the ball at a, the center fielder, it's really good swing. They swung at a good pitch probably, right? But they don't get rewarded in terms of a hit or whatever. So what we're trying to do is re- reward guys for the things that are the most controllable and the things that correlate to success over time. So that's quality of contact and swing decisions. So the rake report is basically just we weight those things based on we have one section that's based on contact quality so you get one through five stars for say you know a batted ball that's a certain hit probability right so if it's the probability it's a home run over I think it's over 60 percent chance of being a home run it's a five star hit and you work down to one star from there and then so that's contact quality and then we have swing decisions where you get rewarded for swinging at pitches that are good pitches to hit and you get ding points for chasing pitches that aren't good pitches to hit so it's really simple um i think the whole purpose is really just to create a a process based focus to where we're not too worried about chasing outcomes we're not worried about chasing hits or batting average all we're trying to do is hit the ball hard in the air by swinging at good pitches and then over time that'll correlate into some really good on-field performance. How do you grade and weight swinging at pitches on the edges and on the corners? Because the Mariners, I mean, really, this has been since opening day. They've been one of the best teams in baseball to not chasing outside the strike zone. And we've seen uh, probably more strikeouts looking this year than in recent history. So how much does looking at the perimeter of that K zone uh, go into how the rake report is graded? Yeah, so the what's considered like the edge zone um, outside of the heart of the zone, you, you don't get minus points for that. You don't get plus points for it. It's kind of a neutral area. But the thought is that if we're incentivizing swinging at pitches on the edges, then we're also going to start chasing because what a chase pitch, what a chase pitch really is, right? Nobody swings at a slider in the dirt because they think it's a slider in the dirt. You swing at a slider in the dirt because you think it's a fastball on the edge, and then it's not, right? So the goal is if we're not necessarily hunting pitches on the edges. We might see it out of the hand, think it's a fastball on the edge, shut it down early, and then it is a slider in the dirt, and it's an easy take, right? So that's kind of our goal, to kind of minimize that chase by hunting pitches in the heart of the zone instead of just anything in the zone. Is there a difference between teaching hitting and teaching a swing? 
Yes, I, I think there definitely is. Um, I think there's also some overlap between the two. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of the time from a mechanical standpoint, it's, it's tough to execute a plan when you don't know how your swing works, you know. And so, like, there's guys that have their strengths and they play to them. Um, but if you're not aware of those strengths and you're not aware how your swing enables you to kind of have those strengths, it's, it's tough to really be aware and know how your swing's going to play against different type of pitchers, different types of pitches. You know, it's, so I think the two kind of go hand in hand. Right now in the majors, there's been this huge rush of coaching talent, both in hitting and pitching, that have come essentially, for lack of a better term, from the private sector. Do you see yourself as one of those guys, or was your time in that sector such a sliver of time that you really don't consider yourself that? How do you see yourself in that regard? Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'm somewhere in between the two. I think, like, the opportunity for me to be here has been kind of paved by, you know, people like, you know, like Laker and, you know, like these guys that have had such success in the private sector and also have had playing experience, you know, and people are, again, people are seeing that, it, the playing experience matters and it helps, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily make you a great coach. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really all about maximizing the ability that you have in front of you. And, you know, if you played and you can do that, it's a huge bonus. But if you didn't, you're still a pretty good coach. When Andy McKay reaches out to you on social media, essentially to set up the start of a job interview process, did you get a sense as to what it was that he saw or heard of that made you such an attractive candidate? Um, not really. I mean, I think, I guess one of the things that made me a little more unique, I guess, was just kind of my approach to teaching the swing. Um, I think there's a lot of people that understand the mechanics of the swing now. You know, we have, like, really good video analysis, and we have 3D motion capture. We have all these things that can kind of tell us objectively, like, what's happening within good swings, you know, but... When you start to look at a lot of the, and this is what Andy's really into, is kind of the, the research on skill acquisition and motor learning and all this kind of stuff and how to actually teach the movements that we know are, you know, ideal. That's where I think I provide value. I think, you know, understanding these things like internal versus external cueing, um, just understanding how to build retention and transfer of skill I think that's the thing that kind of separated me from a lot of the other mechanics swing coaches out there Um, because ultimately it's all about taking the swing that you're trying to teach and being able to help the guy bring it onto the field, right? If it never shows up in the game, it it doesn't really matter what you do in the cage. So I think that was kind of the the thing that he had heard about me and the the separator for me from kind of the the other guys out there. Okay, you're using terms that... Ted Williams can't even <laughs> define, right? When when you talk about the modern swing, yeah. if you were to boil it down in 140 characters, in layman's terms, how would you describe to somebody what the ideal modern swing at this level looks like? Uh, I mean, there's, there's so much individuality that that's probably, it's tough to express, but I would say that, like, if there is one constant amongst, like, all the good hitters, it's efficiency and quickness. And so, like, you think about, you know, in terms of those outcomes that we were trying to create, right, like good swing decisions and productive contact, quality contact, the one thing that has, for me, the biggest implications on those two things is efficiency and quickness and time to contact. So if you think about the best hitters in the game, right, they can make better decisions because they can see the ball longer in flight. 
They have quicker swings. They have more efficient swings. And if you think, okay, what pitchers are trying to do these days in terms of tunneling pitches and pitches playing off of each other, if you can give yourself a few hundredths of a second of extra time, of extra recognition, you're exponentially better. And so I think when you talk about what the best hitters are doing these days, I think the best hitters are the most efficient hitters. And they see the ball longer, and they make better decisions than the rest of the guys. With all the focus on what the pitcher is doing and trying to do, all of your focus is on the hitter. How much time do you have to spend essentially studying the enemy and seeing what the pitcher is doing when it could be so easy for you to be obsessed with only the hitting side of things, I'd have to think? Yeah, no, it's definitely tough to find that balance. But I think ultimately, you know, if you have a good understanding of each of the guys on your team, then, you know, and what their strengths are, it's it's easy to construct kind of a game plan around what the pitcher's doing, you know, so we have a lot of guys with varying strengths, you know, some guys are better up in the zone, some are better down, some are better at hitting, you know, a sinker, some are better at hitting that fastball with a little bit of ride, um, but ultimately it's about trying to construct a game plan that's going to fit the needs of, of each guy and kind of maximize their strengths while limiting the pitcher's strengths and taking away what he does well. For a relatively short period of time that you have been doing this professionally, it's the way that you talk about this, it sounds like this has become more than a profession. I mean, this is like an obsession for yeah. you, it sounds like. How would you describe kind of your love affair and the level in which this has completely consumed what it sounds like your entire life? <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely everybody makes fun of me. I think, you know, it, I, it's really all I think about, you know, it's... Um, I think a lot of it stems from the fact that I I really wanted to be a good player. You know, I really wanted to play professionally. That was all I tried to do growing up. I've worked my, you know, tail off, but it, it never was enough, you know, and I had, I had the opportunity to work with some great coaches and some, you know, but I think that that desire and that, you know, want to be a great player and it not working out has really kind of fueled me in terms of wanting to help all these guys. You know, I think that if I can try to help every guy become the best version of themselves, like I'm, I'm doing a good job. And all of that obsession is kind of driven by the fact that I just want to help these guys get better. You know, that's really the bottom line for me. In your first year touring the majors, first of all, what's been the one ballpark outside of T-Mobile Park where you've looked around and said, I, I can't believe I'm here right now? <laughs> you know, honestly, the, it was my first uh, major league experience was in Japan which was that was insane you know and like seeing all the stuff for each row was that was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in my life on the field off the field baseball not baseball that was just special um I think from that point it was like you know, you it doesn't get much better than that but <laughs> you know Fenway was was awesome um Yankee Stadium was awesome I grew up you know in New Jersey so a little bit of a Yankees fan but yeah, it was it had some pretty cool experiences, but Japan with the whole Ichiro uh, ceremony that was that was special for sure. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Appreciate it, man.